want to welcome you today to the third installment of our series, I Know That I Know. And if you've been joining us throughout this series, I'm so grateful for that. If you are here today, maybe it's your first time to join us at Church Online, first time to listen to the podcast, let me welcome you and let me say in advance how excited I am for you to lean in on today. Today is going to be a day I believe that some of you ain't never going to forget. I believe God's word for us today is going to inspire us. It's going to challenge us. For some of you, you doubt God. You doubt the local church. You doubt if there's any good that comes of it, baby. (laughs) Today just might be the day that changes all that for you. You see, we are in a series trying to build our faith. We're calling it I Know That I Know because our basic premise is this. That faith is built by what you know, not by what you think. A lot of times we hear the idea of faith and we think it's something airy. We think it's something that I can't really articulate. I can't really like tangibly touch, see, or feel, or know. But that's not faith at all. In fact, in the scriptures, in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence, baby, I see it of things that haven't yet been seen. That's what faith is. Faith is the proof that what I'm believing, what I'm saying is actually true. I know that I know. And so your faith needs some stuff it can lean into, it can trust in and ultimately count on. Truth that you can build your life upon. And that's why throughout this series, we are leaning every single week into individual verses. We're not preaching Bible stories. I'm not taking you all over the map, but really I'm trying to give you some foundational verses that in our time together, I hope that you will understand them fully and completely. And not only understand them, but our heart is that you would memorize these. That like the psalmist said, you would hide his word in your heart. Because when you hide his word in your heart, like it stays and it becomes the ammunition you need to fight every attack of the enemy. That you would understand it, but you would also memorize it so that you would believe it. Because when you understand it and you memorize it and you believe it, baby, that is when you know that you know. And so if you haven't already today, or maybe you're new with us and you didn't know this is even available, I would love for you in this journey of trying to memorize this week's verse to hide it in your heart. You can go to our website at believing.church. And there, if you go to the I Know That I Know page, you will find, yes, the video of this sermon there, but you'll also find wallpapers for you to put on your phone, download, put it right there, wallpaper for your, your, uh, your desktop computer, your laptop, whatever. So that way, all throughout the week, you can see this verse over and over again, and I promise you, it's the greatest way you'll ever memorize God's word is through this. And so do that. Go ahead and download that. I've had so many people over the past couple of weeks who've been doing this. They've been showing me their phone. Look what I put right here. It is. It's wonderful because we look at our phones so much. This is a very simple but transformative way to hide God's word in our heart. Now, that all being said, let's go to God's word that we're going to try to hide in our heart on today. Again, we, we, we've been leaning into these individual verses. We started in Romans 8. Last week in part two, we, we leaned into the truth of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Today, though, we're going to the book of Philippians, chapter number 1, verse 6. 
This is the way the scripture reads, and as we have each week, I'm going to read it to you twice, because when you hear it twice, you already have a better chance of understanding it, of memorizing it, of, of, of knowing it just a little bit better, so we're going to read it twice. It's just one verse. You can handle it. It ain't nothing but like 15 words. You can handle this, all right? Here we go. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He says, I am confident of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That is our verse of the week. That is the verse that if you download this on the wallpaper, put it on your phone, like that is the verse you're going to look at all week long. Come on, one more time. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Here it goes. It says, I am confident of this, Paul says, that he, talk about God, who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, some of you may be familiar with this verse because it is, quite honestly, one of the more familiar verses in all of Scripture. I mean, it's not on that, like, for God's a lot of world level, you know what I'm talking about, like, like that, but it's like maybe like one tick below that. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. He gonna do it. Yes, he will. Like, it is one of the more familiar verses in the Scripture, but why so? I honestly think because this is very much one of those positive verses. It is full of hope. It is full of promise. It is full of expectation. Come on, if you're struggling, this place. <laughs> if you're hurting, this place. Like this is one of those verses that regardless of what situation you may even find yourself in today, I believe there is hope, there is life, there is truth, there is faith that can be deposited on the inside of you just from Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 to say it another way, it travels well. Because when you're down, and maybe some of you today are down, you're discouraged and feeling low. Well, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, you see, or maybe some of you today, you're, you're, you're riding a high. Like, this has been a great week. This has been a great month. You're just happy today, wherever you may be listening and however you may be listening. You may be sitting on cloud nine, as they would say. Can I tell you, even if you're sitting on cloud nine, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you. Come on, it feels good, don't it? Some of you, though, uh, some of you, though may be in a season where you're starting something new. Maybe you're stepping into a new role stepping into a new job. Maybe, maybe you're living in a new place. Can I tell you, if you're stepping into something new, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It lifts your faith. And even for those of us that maybe ain't nothing new in our lives, it's same old, same old, same old friends, same old house, same old street, same old routine. Sometimes it feels a little too same old. Hear me. I'm confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This is uh, a very familiar verse with an incredible promise attached to it. Now, if you are familiar with part one or two, maybe you listened, you joined us in person, you joined us at church online, you've listened to this podcast, you, you, you know that, that we, in part one and part two, looked at verses that appeared to have promises, but really they weren't promises. Well, today, Philippians chapter one, 
we actually find ourselves with the Apostle Paul sharing with us, giving us a promise. But before we run up into this promise and try to understand it and apply it and dissect it and believe and receive for it, I think it's important that we know the source of his confidence. Because even in the familiarity that many of us find with Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he who began a good work in you, it's funny, that's where most people started. But that's not where Paul's articulation began. He began with saying, I am confident of this. Where does this confidence come from? How does he have confidence? And is it confidence or is it cockiness? Because you know there is a difference, right? I mean, this is just me speaking personally, but cocky people annoy me. But yet, at the same time, I, uh, I am often drawn to confident people. You see, cocky people, if you will, to just clarify the difference, cocky people often run around flaunting whatever it is they have, you know? And that may be material, that may be talent-wise, that, uh, that may be people that they know. You ever eaten with somebody and the whole time you're eating with them, you are just getting name-dropped like left and right, you're like, ease up, like cockiness. Sometimes people are, running around flaunting all that they have, all that they know, all that they are, and it's a sense of cockiness. But sometimes cockiness actually looks the opposite of that. Sometimes cockiness actually looks, appears on the surface very humble looking, but they act so low and kind of insecure only to get the people around them to be like, you know, puffing them up. See, cocky isn't always, hey, hey, hey. Like, sometimes cocky is sitting low just so other people will say. And I don't know, for me, it's just always been a turnoff. Like, it's like, those aren't the people I want to run with. Those aren't the people I want to live my life with. Those aren't the people that I lead. Quite honestly, those aren't the people that I believe. But confidence is a whole other animal altogether. Because confidence is this assurance that you have based on a reasonable understanding of what's true. You are sure of something. Confidence and cockiness are not the same thing. In fact, to say it another way, cockiness is situational, but confidence is secure. Cocky people will be a certain way when all their situations, when all their circumstances, when everything in their life or everything connected to this moment in time is the way they want it to be. Cockiness is situational. But confidence is secure. You will find confident people in difficult spaces. You will find confident people in, in seasons of life, in places in a city that it looks like, why on earth, how on earth could anybody be confident there? Well, that's just that. Confidence isn't based on the situation you find yourself in. Cockiness is situational. Confidence is secure. And this is so evident and foundational to you and my understanding of what Paul is telling us in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Because Paul says, I am confident of this. And then he states a promise. He says, I'm confident of the promise. But he says so in a place that looks nothing like the promise. Because he says, I'm confident that God began a good work, and he's going to complete the good work. 
But he does not say that from a place that's good. Paul writes Philippians, this letter, or maybe even collection of letters, from jail. You don't believe me? Just read verse 7. It's right there. <laughs> he, he articulates this hope-filled, confident understanding of a promise God made that this is going to be good. That the good thing that God started, he will do, even though he has himself presently chained to a Roman officer. Even though right now some of the basic freedoms of life to be able to go where he wants to go and do what he may feel important to do. He does not have at this present moment. Even though good work that may require him to leave his present situation is not allowed for him. He says, I'm confident of this. Why? Because cockiness is situational. Confidence is secure. He writes Philippians from jail. It's one of a few of his letters that we refer to as a prison epistle. It is a letter written by an apostle, but he wrote it from prison. So picture this with me, okay? He's sitting in prison and he's articulating that he's confident in God, that God will do everything exactly the way he says he's going to do it, even though in his present situation, nothing looks like what God has said. I wonder if there's anybody that might resonate. Maybe you're not in prison this morning. I shall hope not. But maybe you would find yourself like Paul in a situation that looks nothing like what God said your situation was going to look like. Looks nothing like what God said in his word you can count on, you can expect, you can believe. You're in a situation that looks nothing like the promise. Have you allowed that to suck the life out of your faith? Or are you confident even here? Because Paul would say, I'm confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. And I don't say that because I'm sitting on high. I don't say that because I'm in a place of luxury. I don't say that because I'm in a place where it looks like what God said. I'm actually telling you this with confidence because the place I'm in doesn't look like what God said. How could he do that? Why would he communicate that? Because his confidence isn't based on his situation. His confidence is based on his starter. I am confident of this, Paul said. He who began a good work. His confidence was not in the good work. His confidence was in the one who started the good work. Too many people who say they follow Jesus have a cocky faith. There's one you ain't heard before. They have a cocky faith. What do I mean? I mean that if everything in your life is good, then you'll run your mouth about how good God is. Come on, if you got money in the bank, you got friends on tap, you living where you want to live, working where you want to work, your kids listen, your grades are good, whatever it might be, you will find yourself for whatever reason with your chest out talking about how good God is. I will bless the Lord. He's been good to me. It's a cocky faith. Because you need situations to be a certain thing in order to have faith in what God said. 
Because sometimes the same people who when life is good to them will sing God's praises. Baby, if you turn that upside down, then all of a sudden they're nowhere to be found. They can't sing, they can't serve, and they can't stay the course when they're struggling. Hmm. If that looks like you, sounds like you, resembles you, you got big faith in God when uh, everything has come to you the way you want. But all of a sudden you get a doctor's report you weren't ready for. All of a sudden your place of employment tells you they don't need your services anymore. All of a sudden the stability you had from the place that you were living gets taken from underneath you and now you can't even trust God. Now you can't even bless God. Now you can't even, all of a sudden you ain't got time. You can't do any of that. May I, friend, point out the fact that you don't have a confident faith, but you have a cocky faith. You're cocky, but what you need is confidence because the confident faith says this. It says the title of our series that I know that I know. A confident faith says I might be struggling, but I'm still serving. Can I tell you, it's one of the things I love about what happens at Believing is that sometimes I'll see people serving on a Sunday or see people serving in, in with outreach, see people serving by leading groups, see people serving by, by participating in all this going on. But I know that they're not doing the best. I know that they're struggling in their body. Can I tell you, that's a confident faith. A confident faith says, even though I'm struggling, I'm still going to be serving. A confident faith says, I may be worried, but I'm still going to worship. I'm not going to allow the worries about today, my fears about tomorrow, to keep me from giving God all the honor that he deserves. That's a confident faith. A confident faith says, I may be beat down, but I'm still believing. I'm still believing that God has good for me. I'm still believing that his purposes for me, his purposes to me will come to pass. I am confident of this. So don't judge God's promises by your present. Come on, write that down if you take taking notes today. Don't judge God's promises by your present. Because that's what so often we do. We look around at our present situation, our present circumstance, and we decide to define whether God's hand is on our lives or not, whether God cares for us or not, based on how we interpret what it is we see. People with confident faith don't do that. People with confident faith find themselves pent up in prison and say, I am confident of this. That he who began a good work in me will carry it on to completion. You see, because confidence isn't in the work. It's in the one who works all things out. That's what Paul says in Philippians 1.6. He says, I'm confident of this, that he who began it, that God that began it. He didn't say I'm confident in the good work. He didn't say I'm confident because the mission is so great. I'm confident because the thing that he started is so significant. He says I'm confident in the one who started it. That's a whole different kind of confidence. Confidence isn't in the work. It's in the one who works all things out. Because confidence isn't in the situation. It's in the one who sees all things through. 
So you can sit in prison and be overwhelmed by your situation. You can sit in a space in life that looks nothing like the good work that God started, the good work that God said. But you can be confident because your confidence isn't in the work and it's not in your present situation. I am confident of this, Paul says, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Paul's confident in this precarious situation because he knows that God will finish what he started. If God started it, God will complete it. So confidence is to be your posture and mine. Not cockiness, but confidence. Confidence that wasn't given to you by your situation, so it cannot be taken away by your situation. Confidence, regardless of the predicament or the present situation we find ourselves in. I'm confident of this, that he who started this good work will carry it on to completion. You see, that's a, another layer of confidence even for you. Because some of you may be wondering whether or not God has started a good work in you. And how is it going to happen and what is it supposed to look like? Hear me. If it's supposed to happen through you, then God will start it in you. If, if there's a good work that God wants to see happen through you, he will be the one who starts it in you. So oftentimes, though, people get this backwards, right? People be running around trying to do things and then ask God to bless it. They, like, start businesses that God didn't even want them to start. They just got frustrated by their boss and decided, I'm about to be an entrepreneur. And God said, I didn't create you to be an entrepreneur. I created you to work that job and to work it well and to take the free time that you get from not having to work all the time, just only working in 40 hours a week, to be able to use some of that for the honor of my name. But you say, oh, I got to go start this business. And now I need God to bless me. Why? Why? I need God to give me the confidence. He going to see me through. He started this good work. What, what? I see this the most with nonprofits. Everybody want to start a nonprofit, right? Everybody want to have a nonprofit talk about I'm doing good in the world. And a lot of them, well-meaning, talk about how I feel like God wants me to do this. God gave me this idea. God gave me a vision. God gave me a dream. Really? Really? Because if he started it, he'll see it through. But he ain't started. If it's supposed to happen through you, God will start it in you. Some of y'all be jumping into relationships that you ain't ready for. You just see somebody else getting married, so you decide, I'm, I'm going to get serious now with her. I'm going to get serious. No, 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 no. And you're like, God, will you fix this? God's like, I don't even want you with them. Remember what I said about being unequally yoked and how that don't work out? Why are you over here unequally yoking? What are you doing? Listen to me. We're making big purchases. Talk about God, God, if you could just bless me so I can get this paid for. No, 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 listen. If it's supposed to happen through you, God will start it in you. But folk love to run to God, asking God to bail them out, trying to use this verse. And God's probably like, why would I do that? I didn't even start this. See, can I give you some real clarity from our verse? If God did start it, whatever it is, he will see it through. If God did, whatever God started, 
if God really did start it, he really will see it through. That was Paul's confidence. That's how he could have that kind of confidence in a situation that looked nothing like what God has said. But if God didn't start it, he won't see it through. I mean, you might get lucky. <laughs> it might work out. But God does not oblige himself to do whatever it is you want him to do. He will see it through if he wanted it started. If he didn't want it started, well, that's on you, boo. Which leads us to a very significant question. It's probably the question in your mind. It would be the question in mine. In fact, as I was processing this and preparing for this, this is the question that would scream the loudest to me if I were you sitting there listening to this podcast, if I was you watching at church online. Like you're talking about God starting the thing, and this is great, and God will see it through if God starts it. But maybe I've started some stuff, and I don't know whether or not God wanted me to start it. I'm just confused. So the question would be, how do you know God started this good work in you? Whatever the good work is, how do you know that that thing was started by God and not you? Because there's a bunch of good work that ain't God. And, and a bunch of work that we call God that ain't good. So how do you know God started the good work in you? Well, I wish I had like a list for you, but I don't. I wish I had some rubric or some website I could send you to and you punch in some things and it'll tell you, this God, this ain't God. But I don't really think God works like that. However, I would like to provide you a relatively surprising filter um, that I think will help you on your way. It'll help me on my way. It has helped me on my way. And to be honest, I have two very different, but very pertinent to today stories to show you this filter in action. So here's the filter. If God unshakably burdens your heart from some, for something, even if it's surprising, confidently run to that. And trust him to finish it. This is the filter. How do I know if God started this good work in me? If God unshakably burdens your heart for something. Even if it sounds surprising to you. Even if you think there's no way someone like me would do something like that. If God burdens your heart for something. I didn't say give you an idea how you can make a lot of money. I said burdens your heart for something. I didn't say try to make you. I said if God unshakably burdens your heart for something, even if it seems surprising to you, confidently, somebody in that chat type, confidently, confidently run to that. Trust him to finish it. You know, um, that filter is how Paul even knew these people in Philippi. Paul, who's in prison, writing a letter to a church he started in a place called Philippi, a letter we know as Philippians, this prison epistle where he tells them, I'm confident that he who started 
a good work, and you will carry it on to completion. He, uh, he only knew them. He only started this church in Philippi because of this filter. See, Paul was a Jew's Jew. He was Jewish not only in his original religious followings and practices, but a Jew by culture and nationality. And while he understood Greek culture because of his upbringing, religiously, he was the most devout Jew. That's why you find Paul in the New Testament. His story begins with his previous name of Saul. And Saul persecuted Christians because of Paul's devotion to Judaism. But God met Saul on a road to a town called Damascus where Paul was going to persecute more Christians. And there Saul had his name changed to Paul and he saw the resurrected Jesus. That's why we call him an apostle. That's why the early church called him an apostle. And he sees the resurrected Jesus who asks him why he's persecuting him. And he has this incredible transformation and goes from someone who is persecuting the church to literally the primary builder of the church. But Paul, as a Jew's Jew, started taking all of his Jewish knowledge, all of his Jewish heritage, all of his Jewish understanding, and now explaining the truth, the hope of life through Jesus to Jewish people because he got them. And Paul was very good at it. In fact, once these Jews <laughs> uh, began to trust Paul and realize that he wasn't going to kill the Christians anymore, uh, they really warmed up to him because he was brilliant. And he would have these conversations in their temples and in the synagogues. And many people were being converted. And he was becoming a very strong leader in the Jewish church. But there's something you need to know about Jews that maybe you do, maybe you don't. Jews had no relationship with Gentiles. Jews were just that, Israel, people of Israel, Jewish people. Gentiles was everybody else. So people that may happen to live, I don't know, in uh, Mesopotamia, people that happened to live in a city called Philippi would not have been people that Paul would have interacted with, would not have been people that Paul would have want to have relationship with. In fact, there was arrogance on the part of the Jews. There was racism and prejudice on the part of the Jews towards anyone that wasn't Jewish. And so they did not associate with them. But then in Acts chapter 16, the scripture records Paul having a dream. This Macedonian man calls out to him. And the way Luke records it in the book of Acts is that Paul believed that was God telling him to go serve people he never would have served before, to go preach to people he never would have preached to before, to go share the good news of the gospel to people he never would have shared the good news of, gospel, of the gospel to. And so he got his Padres together after this dream and he tells them, he said, I think we need to do this. And Acts 16 tells us that the first place Paul went when he got this burden that he never expected to have. The first place he went when God called him to do something he never thought God would call him to do was to Philippi.
where he started a church. Where after starting that church, he'd go on to start many others, and then he would find himself in prison. To wherewith he would pin these words that he was confident of. That the one who began a good work in you. Why did Paul write it? Why did Paul? Because there was a burden he could not shake. He had this burden that he could not shake. And so he did what God said to do. And he said, God, I'm going to let you sort it out. God started something in Philippi. And Paul believed he was confident of the fact that God would complete it. Can I tell you for your life today, friend, God doesn't need you to let him finish something. God wants you to let him start something. Some of us think God needs our wisdom and he needs our intellect and he needs all of us to finish something. That is not what God needs. Because if God started it, God will finish it. But God needs you and he wants you to let him start something in you. And this is challenging because this is where we have to overcome fear and doubt and insecurity. This is when we battle our worth. This is when we wrestle with the questions in our mind and in our heart and even around us as we begin to do the things that God has said for us to do. And maybe for some of you, the thing that God has told you to do is simply to follow him. Maybe the Holy Spirit has been knocking at the door of your heart for weeks, for months, for years, and you are too worried about everybody in your world to actually go and fully Follow Jesus. Be confident of this, that he who started something in you will carry it to completion. Maybe it's an area of your life where God has been speaking to you for days, weeks, months about trusting him with it. But you're worried. Listen. Be confident that if he started you on this path, he will carry you to completion on this path. See, sometimes you'll have conversation with people, well-meaning people, and they won't understand why you even doing what you're doing. They won't understand why you're so obsessed and why you're so concerned and why you're so involved in that. Why would you take your faith so seriously? Why would you do that? Why would you serve like that? Why would you give like that? Why would you pray like that? Why would you think you could make a difference? Why would you? See, God doesn't need you to let him finish something. He'll finish it. He'll do it when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it. But he needs you to have the faith in him enough to say, God, I want you to start something in me. And whatever you tell me to do, I'll do. Whatever your word instructs me to do, I'll do. And I'll walk in it. People may think I'm crazy for giving like I give, but I'm going to give like I give. People may think I'm crazy for praying like I pray, but people may think I'm crazy for serving like I serve. People may think I'm crazy for not taking that job, but keeping this job so that way I would have the flexibility to be able to do the thing. But I'm going to do what God has told me to do. Let him start something. And then you just keep walking. I remember very vividly the, the season when we were in the process of starting Believing Church. Some of you don't know that, but Believing Church is not a, a, a rename of a church. It's a church that we felt burdened to start. We felt burdened to begin and lead life-giving, Jesus-loving church in Memphis that was in the city 
that was of the city was for the city. And so we burned the ships, so to speak, to do that very thing. And one of the things we said from the beginning, in fact, I remember before we even moved into the city to live, much less start the church, I remember being in the house that we were living in and recording a video, <laughs> kind of casting vision for this thing that God had burdened our heart to do. And I remember making the statement that I've made thousands of times since then, publicly, privately, I've typed it, I've written it, but I remember saying it in a very out there kind of way, that we were gonna be a church that ran toward our problems, not from them. See, I'm a Memphian. I, I was born and raised in the city. I've seen people bad mouth and bad talk our city and talk about its problems and do not a thing to be a part of the solution my whole life. And it makes me sick. And so for whatever reason, God used some of that to burden within us to start a church, but not just to have church, not just to have services, but to literally, when we see problems, do all that we can to run towards being a part of the solution. Not turn our back on the problems, not act like they don't exist, not get around some people that think like us and complain about it, but to run towards them, to roll up our sleeves, and to be a part of fixing those problems to the best of our ability for the glory of God. Can I tell you, if you're a part of our church and sometimes you wonder why we do the things we do, it's that. Like the reason that we, every single month, serve more than 300 families free groceries. The reason that we spend hundreds of dollars every month, if not more than $1,000 every month, buying those groceries to give away to people for free. Some of y'all didn't know that. Some of y'all thought the grocery fairy brought them in. No, 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 we spend money <laughs> buying groceries so that we can give to people. You know why? Because we live in a, in, and operate in a very food insecure area. And we saw that. And we said, God, what can we do to run towards this problem? And so now for the better part of what will be three years this fall, we have been serving groceries every single month to hundreds of families. And there are families who their stability in life has changed because they know every month they can count on a church to feed them. It's the reason that every single day, Monday through Friday, we provide free meals to kids. We serve more than a thousand kids every single week. Meals. Every single day. Not because it's easy, but because there are thousands and thousands and thousands of kids who are going home to homes where when you open the cupboards, there ain't nothing in them. And they're hungry. And we want to do all we can to take that away. It's the reason we host Paloozas like we do. Some of you don't know this, but back this past Christmas, we hosted our third Christmas Palooza. This past year at Christmas Palooza, we served right at 2,000 kids, almost 6,000 toys. We did that. It wasn't easy. We spent months raising money. It wasn't easy. 
We took our Christmas season and not just, not just like our leadership team, but like dozens and dozens and dozens of volunteers. I mean, literally, I think it was in the neighborhood of like 250 actually volunteers uh, served in some capacity over the course of multiple nights to create a toy store and serve hot chocolate and get toys to kids. Like unbelievable. Rather than just sitting in front of a fire, sipping a hot cocoa, Talk about Jesus is the reason for the season. Yes, he is, but we're going to show you. Because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give up his life. See, what we do and how we operate don't make sense unless you know. We said from the rip, we're going to be a church for all people. But we are not going to run from the problems of our city. But on God, we're going to leverage our lives and our energy and our resources to see those problems go away in our lifetime. And little by little, they are. It's the reason we have half a dozen recovery meetings in this facility every week. People getting help and getting accountability and getting assistance to be able to fight the demons that are addiction. I could go on and on and on, but there's one burden that we've had for a while that uh, felt like it was in jail. Three and a half years ago, we were on the way to help this single mom. Now we had helped actually this mom and, and, and many single moms before. Uh, when needs would pop up, we just do the best we can. But this particular single mom uh, was without consistent shelter place to live and we were trying to help her find a spot and then ultimately get into that spot and our outreach leader uh one of our outreach leaders at the time and this mom went over to this this place that we had found for her and they went over there to meet with the uh the slum lord i mean the landlord of uh at this place and they get there before I got there because um, I was just running behind. I was trying to get over there. I was coming between meetings and I was trying to get over there to meet and see if, we, if it would work and it, how we could help out to get her and her family situated. She was a single mom uh, with five kids, uh, all under the age of nine. And uh, it's a lot for her. And they get over there, they start looking around and our person that was part of our church that was our, uh, involved in our outreach called me and gives me the information that this landlord had given to her, right? The price, you know, all these different kinds of things. I think it's worth noting though, that this single mom with kids uh, was a young African-American lady. Our outreach lead um, was a middle-aged African-American lady. If you're listening to the podcast, you can't see this. Um, uh, if you're watching at church online, you're watching the sermon on YouTube, just take a good look at, at me real quick. All right. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a tall, large, white man. Okay. Now that we're clear on this, that little caveat is important for what I'm about to tell you. Because when I pulled up to the property, I met the landlord. And the landlord starts to tell me different information than he had just told these two ladies. And when I say different, I mean, because I rolled up, now all of a sudden the price got cheaper. 
Now, because I roll up, the story starts to change. He starts saying things about how, you know, somebody just moved out of here three weeks ago. But I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a, in a place that ain't nobody lived in, ain't had the power on, ain't had the air running or whatever in like months and months and months and months. There is a smell and a feeling that these things had. That place had that smell and feeling. So they're looking around because she's literally couch surfing with, with five children that she's trying to care for. And we're trying to figure out all this stuff. And I got angry. Not angry like, like, a, like a bad angry. I think there's good anger. Jesus got angry, flipped over tables in the temple. There's a good anger that could come on you. Some people have called it a holy discontent. I think that's what hit me in that moment. And I remember walking outside, going on the sidewalk, and I'm just walking around. See, it was an area that I knew because this area where this duplex was, where half of it, this lady was going to rent. I grew up probably two minutes from there, right up the street. So I knew it and I knew the price that he had told her was outrageous. And quite honestly, the price he had told me was ridiculous for there and she couldn't afford it. And it happened to be that the duplex next door to it was boarded up like nobody was living in it. And so I just happened because I'm interested in real estate to pull up my phone, realtor.com. And I start researching the duplex that's available next door. So two units. And I come to find out that that duplex is actually for sale. And it's actually being paired with another duplex, oddly enough, that's up here around where our physical location is right now. Now at the time, our church was meeting portably in the Malco Paradiso. So like, like, like we, we, we weren't in this facility, we didn't know this neighborhood, but like there were these two duplexes, so four living units, and they were trying to sell both of them combined in a package deal. They needed some work, but sell both of them for $60,000. And they're talking about charging this mom. My, pr my price was $1,000 a month. Her price was $1,200. And I got so angry. I told our outreach lead, I told that mom, I said, look, let's, let's keep looking. And we ended up finding her a different place, getting her settled. Where the last time I talked with her, which was probably four or five months ago, she was still in that same apartment. Praise God for that. And praise God for good apartment runners and good rental people. Not all rental people is bad, but that dude was. But I got angry at the system because there are all of these children growing up in instability throughout our city. And it's not that houses aren't there. And it's not that houses couldn't be there and spaces couldn't be made available. It's because they literally can't afford it because they're single moms trying to care for two kids or six kids and, and, and trying to be mom and trying to put food on the table and trying to navigate all this. And their kids are getting overlooked and they're having to move 17 times more than, than, than kids who are growing up in dual parent homes. And it, it, it made me so mad. So mad that I didn't really know what to do because we didn't have the money to buy both of them. If we would have, I would have just bought it then. In fact, I thought about it personally, but I couldn't. That Sunday, a friend of mine um, at church pulled me aside and said, hey, 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 Michael, um, um, I'm, I'm going to this nonprofit uh, creation training class cohort thing at a place called the Assisi Foundation. 
It's called Before You Ask. It's about how to build nonprofits. He's, he's like, I was wondering, you think you want to go with me? She didn't know nothing about my visit to the house. I said, yeah, I do. And so me and her got signed up and I go sit in this thing. And they put Believing Church on my little name placard when I sit in there. There's probably 20 people in this class. It's 16 weeks, four hours a night each week. It's for real. And they teach you how to start, run, lead nonprofits. And I remember even the first week, they were like, oh, so you must be here for the church. We think this is wonderful. I said, no, I'm not here for the church. The church is running and it's, it's doing fine. I'm here for this, this burden I have on the inside of me because there are, there are, there are single moms that don't have any place to live uh, that they can afford and we need to fix that. And so I go through the class and this, this idea, this burden starts to clarify. And it was there that I remember getting clarity on this, on this phrase that I've said so many times now that I felt like we were supposed to do, that we were supposed to figure out a way to provide quality, affordable housing for single moms. Like that for whatever reason, there was this burden on the inside of me to, to create quality, affordable housing for single moms. That like, I can't shake it. I wanna shake it, but I can't shake it. I can't stop thinking about the house over an okay bed. I can't, I can't stop thinking about that mom. I can't stop thinking about the calls that we get every single week from moms that don't know where they're gonna stay, don't know where they're gonna go, don't know how they're gonna put food on the table. And, and the, the elephant in the room is the fact that rent is so freaking expensive that they can't make it. And so now their kids don't get the support support that their kids need and their kids aren't able to be advocated for in the school because mom has to work three jobs and I can't shake it so I remember going through the class I get to the end of the class and because we went every single week we got a one-on-one -on -one consulting opportunity with a lady who taught the class and while she's in there consulting me, the lady who ran the Assisi Foundation came in and met with me and she said, this needs to happen. She said, I'm not a Christian. She said, I don't know about your church and all that kind of stuff, but she said, this needs to happen. She said, can I tell you what you need to do? I said, please. She said, I did some research on you. I said, was it good? She said, well, some of it. She said, what wasn't good is this. She said, your church meets in a movie theater, is that correct? I said, yeah. She said, we need to change that. I said, well, we're working on it. She said, yeah, yeah, yeah. She said, you need to move your church into a permanent building. Because she says, if you're going to go out there and try to buy houses for single moms, try to raise money, businesses to give money to do this, she said, you're going to need a permanent location. She said, you need to move into that, and then you need to become the owners of it. She said, you don't need to rent. You need to become the owners of it. It gives you credibility. And she said, once you've done that, then you need to beg, borrow, steal, do whatever you need to do to bootstrap your first couple houses. So once you do that and you prove this concept works, she says, come talk to me. And not only that, you will not have problems finding the resources to do this because it needs to happen. So I took that plan and we started running with it. It was actually not too long after that, that we uh, were able to finalize our deal on this facility, move into this facility as renters. That was March of 2020. Some of y'all remember March of 2020. All of a sudden then we had one service in here and then COVID happened. And we was all locked out of this building basically for months and months and months and months and months on end. But we had a space. And we were in here and 
You know, as we begin to have, have, have church services again and begin to use the building to, to serve groceries, begin to use the building to serve kids and do all this kind of stuff, we just found ways to serve, found ways to serve. Still with this desire for yellow house, as we would call it. Still with this desire to provide quality, affordable housing for single moms, but did not know how it would happen. But knew what we needed to do next was get the building purchased. Well, a year ago, literally in April of 2022, we became the owners of this facility. And I really sensed that this was like, all right, now's the time. Let's get after this yellow house thing. Because it's the thing that like I was so burdened about. The thing that like for whatever reason, God would not let me shake. I didn't go out looking, trying to acquire houses. Didn't go out trying to get into this game, get into this space. I thought I was a preacher, but here I am. And we closed on a building in April of 2022. And we still have people asking questions about Yellow House. The reason they asked questions about it was because actually in May of 2020, Mother's Day to be exact, when everyone is safer at home and locked up at the house, we shared this vision in a service. Did a whole presentation driving around the city telling the story that I've told you. And we had so much response to it. People saying they want to help. People I hadn't heard from in months and years talk about, this is great. Can we meet? And it's like, well, we safer at home. We can Zoom meet. You know, like all this kind of stuff. Lots and lots of interest. But not really that much money. I mean, a little bit here and there. I mean, my wife and I actually, since the, the day we launched it, have given over our tithe every single month to Yellow House. We believe in this. But um, not much had happened with it. We get to a year ago, and a year ago, we've got the building bought, and now I feel like it's time to go, and I'm excited. We're talking about it a little bit, and there's a lot of interest, but um, very little money. And I don't know if you've ever tried to buy a house, but they cost a lot. Which is why this idea to a lot of people, when I've shared it with them, they look at me cross-eyed and be like, you want to do what? Why? I got so discouraged on the idea, to be honest with you, that towards the end of last summer, I actually deactivated our Yellow House page from our website. Because I had this burden for quality, affordable housing for single moms that I, I believe God called us to do. I just didn't know how it was ever going to happen. I didn't know how we would ever be able to afford this first house that we needed to be able to get the ball rolling. Well, deactivated it, still carried it, still thought about it, still talked with people about it. I was just tired of seeing it ever before me. In August, I got invited to speak at an event to talk about these things, problems in our city that we should run towards. And out of that speaking uh, came many, many invitations, but one of those was to sit in a meeting in October with this particular organization's leaders to talk about uh, transformational projects in our city. That organization was celebrating their 100 year anniversary of being an organization. And they wanted to make 
impact in neighborhoods. And Berclair is one of those neighborhoods. And it was myself and several other leaders in different communities and stuff like that. And we're sitting around and we're talking and they're asking what we do. And I'm telling them about all the stuff that you know I've already told you about in this story. And they said, well, what, what would you do? What, what is in your heart? What do you have vision or burden for? She said the word. That uh, maybe you just feel like you can't do now that maybe we could partner with you. And all the people in the room with me, nobody would say anything. And I had never prior to this, and I have pitched Yellow House before executives, before individuals, like, like so many times. But I've never been in a random space where, where I sense the Holy Spirit say, you need to speak and you need to speak now on this. So I said, well, look, l- let me give you three. <laughs> and so I told this particular organization, I said, we do grocery drive throughs every month, but like we have to actually cut the line off before we even open the groceries. There's that much demand every single month. I said, I think it would be great if we could do multiple, but because of the cost of it, like we would really need partnerships to do more than we do. And they said, okay, that's great. They wrote it down. I told them about Christmas Palooza that we were going to do. This was in October before Christmas Palooza. And I said, well, you know, we have a vision to serve 2,000 kids. We're collecting sponsors. And I said, any and all sponsors that we could get sponsorships would be a help because all the money is going to buy toys for kids and we want to serve as many kids as possible. We got a goal of 2,000. We ain't there yet, but like, like we're going to get there. And they said, okay. And I said, and then we have this burden on the inside of us. I said, this may be bigger than you guys are talking about. I don't know. But I said, we have a burden to create quality, affordable housing for single moms. And I explained the reason why and shared, shared what we had done up to now. And I said, we're trying to figure out how to have the finances to do our first house. We don't have it. We can't find it as of yet. But I said, if you want to buy a house, give it to Yellow House. We would make sure it becomes a house that is quality and affordable for single moms forever. There were seven women from this organization sitting in the meeting. Four of them were in tears. You know why? Because they all either were or had been single moms. And they said, okay, and other organizations talked and shared ideas and stuff like that. You know, it was kind of like the, get the cat out of the bag, now everybody wants to talk. They reached back out to me uh, in December and said, um, we can't stop thinking about Yellow House. We uh, voted on it as an executive leadership team and we have never had a unanimous vote on anything. But we unanimously voted to fund your first Yellow House. This organization back in 1997 started saving money to do what we're doing now. I met with them a couple of weeks ago to finalize the funding. (laughs) And then I have good news for you. Because this week, we identified a house. We have a contract on a house. And about two weeks from right now, we will be the owners of our very first yellow house. We own a house that will provide quality, affordable housing for a single mom. Her, her kids, are gonna live in a clean, safe, secure, 
quality place. They're not going to move like everybody else has to move because they're going to have stability and their kids' grades are going to improve because of it. And their family connection is going to improve because of it. The confidence inside that mom is going to improve. And this is just the first. See, God didn't burden our heart to do it once. He burdened it to do it over and over and over and over and over again. And I just have a little bit of faith on today for you and with you. In fact, I want to tell you the title of my sermon at the end of this massive story I have told you. Because I need you to feel this moment. Because some of you find yourself like I did this last summer. There is a dream God put on the inside of you and you say, I do not know how this is possible. God has said, I want you to follow me. God has said, I want you to trust me in your finances. I want you to trust me with your relationships. I want you to trust me with your future. I want you to trust me with this decision. I want you to trust me with this dream. And you've been skeptical. You've been worried. You don't know because you're like Paul and you're sitting in prison. Baby, I have an announcement for you. It will happen. If God started it, it will happen. It'll have to make sense to you. You don't have to know where the resource, where the provision will come from, but it will happen. And I am testimony to that. This church is testimony to that. And there's a house four blocks from here that's testimony to that. That it will happen. So friend, Be confident today that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. If you're taking notes today as I close, do not let your confidence waver when the situation ain't good. Some of you, your confidence in God has wavered because your situation isn't good. You look around at what your life is and you're, you're so distraught. Hear me. Don't let your confidence waver your situation ain't good. You may be in prison, Paul, but God's promise is still intact. Don't let your confidence waver if the obstacles aren't small. Can I tell you some of you the challenge with continuing to have faith in this season, have faith in this, in this scenario, is the fact that the obstacles in front of you are too big. Can I tell you all I've seen houses do for the last three years is get more and more and more and more expensive. I understand. And it's fine if you're living in one and your equity's going up. It's difficult when you got a burden to buy houses in a neighborhood you didn't think the house prices would start going up and all of a sudden, whoop, they, they did. Don't let your confidence waver when the obstacles ain't small. Don't let your confidence waver when the completion ain't close. Because I'm confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. So today, friend, I pray that builds your faith. I pray that some of you that are doubting, ready to throw in the towel, ready to give up, give up on God, give up on following him, would be fueled by faith today. Because whatever God said would happen, it will happen. Jesus, I thank you for caring about everything going on in our lives. I thank you for your word because all your promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And Father, I thank you for what you are doing in people's hearts even now. 
I know I spent so much time telling this story. I didn't even get to get, get to preach through all this sermon the way I wanted to. But I'm going to let Holy Spirit, you do what only you can do. Build the faith of your people. Encourage their hearts. Speak to them wherever they may find themselves right now. And let them have confidence today that what you've said, it will happen. Thank you, Jesus. We give you all the honor and praise. And we pray all these things in your name. And all God's people said, amen.